You're listening to The Ridge Weekly Podcast. To learn more about Chestnut Ridge Church, visit us online at theridge.church. In a world where the very concept of truth is under attack, we are called upon to know the truth and to be able to defend it. The truth can impact our relationship with God, and it can lead to true freedom. Unfortunately, many in our society no longer value the truth, and they don't know where to turn in order to find it. Listen to this talk from the series, Truth Is, as we seek to know how we can graciously stand firm in the truth as we face those in our society who look to undermine it. Well, good morning. Great to be back with you today. I have worn glasses or contacts almost my entire life. I think I was five years old when I first went to the eye doctor. I'm almost 65, so it's almost 60 years ago that I got my glasses for the first time. And despite the fact it was so long ago when I sat in that chair for the first time, when I put on those glasses, I, I still remember how shocked I was at how clear everything was. I mean, I've been going my whole life thinking that I could see well, and I had no idea how blind I was without my glasses. And then I slipped those on, and everything was so crystal clear. It seemed to me that even the colors were more vibrant. I doubt that's true, but it just seemed like that. Now, prior to getting those glasses almost 60 years ago, if you had asked me how my eyesight was, if you said, you know, Tim, um, you know, how's your eyesight? I think I would have said it's fine. I, I would have thought I see, I just would see just fine, you know. These are the only eyes I've ever had. I had nothing with which to compare it. And so before I saw that I could actually see clearly, I just assumed that the way I was seeing everything was correct, but it was not. It was not clear. I desperately needed those glasses. Now, I've mentioned before that of the five senses or main senses that people have, you know, sight and sound, hearing, touch, and taste, the one that to me is most significant is sight. I feel like I'd be lost without my sight. Reminds me of a time I was uh, walking in Columbus, Ohio one time, and I noticed a friend of mine about a block away from me, and I called out to him. I said, hey, and I said his name, and he, he looked kind of confused but he was still walking my direction, and so we continued to walk closer to one another. And when I was finally right in front of him, I said, hi, and he still seemed confused. And then I said, it's Tim. And he said, oh, I'm sorry, I, I don't have my glasses on. I walked out with my gla- without my glasses today. I can't see anything. And I thought in my mind, what on earth are you doing walking around outside when you can't see anything, whether it's far off or close up? He did not recognize me when I was one foot away from him, let alone when I was a block away. He couldn't couldn't recognize me. He didn't realize the importance of having those glasses. Seeing is, is really a big deal. And in the Bible, in many places in the Bible, physical blindness or sight is related to spiritual blindness or sight. And so you remember perhaps where Jesus made the statement that Satan has blinded the eyes of those who don't believe. I don't know how the devil does it, whether he just whispers lies in our hearts and we just accept them, but Satan has blinded the eyes of people who don't believe. They can't see because they've been blinded. Jesus referred to the religious leaders of his day, and he said they're kind of like the blind leading the blind. If, if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. If you're following someone that's blind, it, it's not going to help you any. 
And so there's a, like a spiritual blindness out there. Now, I think we could be blind to a lot of things. I think that we can think we're walking in the truth, believing the truth, living the truth, when there could be things that, that are not true. And this is true of all of us. I know there have been times where my wife would point out things in my life, and at first I'd, I'd kind of disagree, and then I'd realize, no, she's right. I just didn't see it. I was blind to the truth that she was trying to share with me. Now, some of the questions I'd like for us to ask ourselves today is this. Number one is just, how is my spiritual sight? If you're asking yourself that question now, how well do I see? Do I, do I really see well? Do I have confidence that I'm looking at and living the truth? And number two, do I want to see? It's interesting that Jesus on some occasions asked, asked someone before he healed them whether or not they really wanted it. Do you want to see? And that's not always an easy question because sometimes we don't want to know, do we? Do we want to see? And how do we know the truth? And how can we be inoculated against the, the, the world and its lies and, and the lies of the devil and even the, the lies of our own humanity? How do we inoculate ourselves against those lies so that we know that we're seeing the truth? And what resources has God given to us? which is where my focus is going to be on this morning. Today, I'm going to be looking at a story from the book of Acts. It's the story of the conversion of Saul, who would be known as Paul. Saul, of course, was his Hebrew name. And so Saul was raised as Saul. But then uh, as he began to work with Gentiles, his Gentile name was Paul. And he became known as his ministry more and more moved toward the Gentile world. He went by the name of Paul. From this story, I think we can learn some lessons about how or what we need to be able to see. Now, my takeaway today is that we can know the truth. We can know the truth. Now, I'm going to make three main points here today, and they're simple points. They're not like they're, you know, these really revolutionary ideas, but, and I know you know these points, these three points, but I feel like we need to decide whether these three things are true or not. If we want to make sure we're walking in the truth, that we see correctly, these three things are all essential. And so what I'm asking you to do is to believe that these are the things. Because I think, again, it is possible for us to know the truth. Now, the story of Paul is quite interesting because he was such a, a devout religious person. He was a Pharisee. He was among the Pharisees, perhaps the greatest Pharisee of his day, at least the younger Pharisees. He was taught by a guy named Gamaliel. Uh, Gamaliel in his day was very famous, but even to this day, he's regarded in Judaism as, as someone who was a great teacher, and he was Saul's teacher. And so you would think that if anyone would get it right, you would think if someone really knew the truth, it'd be someone like Saul. You know, he had, all, he had all the credentials or whatever, and yet when he meets Jesus for the first time, he spends three days, as we'll see in a minute, blinded. In other words, when Jesus reached out to Saul, the first thing that happened is Saul lost his sight. That is intentional. I, I believe God deliberately did that as a wake-up call, as a what I'd call a sermon illustration to Saul. You think you can see, you can't see at all. You are blind. And for three days, he just sat there thinking, I can't see a thing. Yeah, that's right. It does raise the question, though, how, how could that happen? He was someone who persecuted Christians, and 
and thought he was serving God, but he wasn't. And he had so many things wrong, he ended up becoming an enemy of God's. But again, he didn't, he didn't recognize it. So the question is, well, what did it take to open up his eyes? And I think these are the same things that it takes for us also to begin to see. Now, before we look at the story, let's give a little bit of the background. Uh, the first time we're introduced to Saul, he's standing with a mob that is stoning to death a leader in the church in Jerusalem, a guy named Stephen, who was the, one of the first deacons. And Stephen was a powerful communicator. And it's kind of interesting as he's preaching to the crowd that's gathered there that the crowd just, they not, they, they not only can't, stand what he's saying they are they're murderous in their hearts they were so so angry with him they it's like they lost all self-control as he began to preach and we pick up the story here in verse 57 of acts chapter 7 as stephen was preaching we read then they which is a reference to the crowd streamed or screamed at the top of their voices covered their ears and together rushed against him against stephen they threw him out of the city and began to stone him and the witnesses laid their robes at the feet of a young man named saul so here's our first introduction to saul now notice how wild this crowd is i have to admit it reminds me of videos i've seen in the last 5 or 6 years online you know it describes this crowd as they, they're covering their ears like i can't tolerate another word that you're going to say they're screaming at the top of their lungs and i think yeah there are a lot of people like that these days too they have no self-control no ability to hear or listen to the truth and so this mob was going crazy and then you got this guy standing there saul and he would have been very distinguished he would have been wearing his robe and a phylactery and probably on his forehead there that represented his devotion to judaism he would have had tassels on his garment just showing up just standing there he looks like an important person and the crowd obviously viewed him that way and so what did they do well they put their robes at the feet of saul while they went and stoned stephen and Saul was in favor of it. And this is why I'm saying to you, he was, he was so blind. In verse 1 of the next chapter, eight, Acts, Acts chapter 8, we read, Saul agreed with putting him to death. And then we read, on that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. Now, how could Saul have thought for a moment it was okay to do this? I admit that Saul wouldn't have liked the message. He said, I, you know, you're, you're presenting Jesus and this and that. But to get to this point where he, he was willing to kill him, and then after that to go after other Christians, he was very deceived. He was blind. And again, what's interesting to me about it is he had such a fine religious pedigree. You know, he had all, he checked all the boxes as somebody that you'd think was in the know, somebody that would know God, someone who would know the truth, but he did not know the truth. He did not know the ways of God. He had tremendous theological training, but he did not know the word of God. And he certainly did not know the son of God. And apart from God, it would have been hopeless, which brings me to my first point. What does it take for us to see the truth? What happened in Saul's life or Paul's life? And I'll be using the, the, the names interchangeably. But what happened that made the difference? And there are three things that happened, and we need these same three things in our life. The first one is this, that we need God to reveal truth to us. We need God 
who's the source of all truth to reveal truth to us or else we're not going to find the truth. Now, Satan is called the father of lies, but our God is the one who knows the truth. And I'm suggesting that Saul, and I'll talk about this in a minute because some of you may struggle with this idea, but, but Saul would not have found God if God didn't reach down to Saul. If, if God did not initiate with him, reveal himself, which is what God did. But the second thing about God and truth and all this is that when a person does find God, which he didn't have God in his life, but once you find God, the spirit of God comes to live in us and we have the one who is the truth with us at all times. But the truth is found with God. Now, Jesus said this to his disciples in John 16 and verse 13. He, he told his disciples he was going to be leaving, and, and they were obviously distressed by this. And then he said this, when the spirit of truth comes. See, that's what we're talking about in this series. Where is the truth found? When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into the truth. Now, we need the spirit of truth to reveal the truth to us. Now, after this little incident with, with Saul and Stephen and everything, we read that, that Saul or Paul went to the high priest who was serving in Jerusalem, and he requested to get some letters from the high priest, allowing him to go to the city of Damascus, to all the synagogues. Now, the syn a synagogue is a, just like a small church. And he got permission to go to all the synagogues in the city of Damascus in order to find, identify Christians, arrest them, cart them off to Jerusalem, and most likely put them to death. So this was Saul's intention, and he was on his way to carry this out when he had this encounter with Jesus, where, as we get back to our story, God intervened in his life. God revealed himself to him in the form of his son, Jesus. Acts chapter 9, and verse 3, we read, As he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting, he replied. But get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Now again, Paul came to the truth because God, the Son, revealed himself to Paul. I think this is the way it works. Now, I don't want to this morning get into questions about like predestination and election and those kinds of theological ideas. There are a lot of, there's just a lot of confusion around those ideas. I'm making the point here that if a person does not have Christ, that they're blind. They're spiritually blind. Satan has blinded the eyes. And the only way we would see is if God opens our eyes and reveals himself. And so the, the starting point is to turn to the God of truth. And then once we do that, of course, the spirit of God comes to live within us to lead us more and more to the truth. Now, Jesus told his disciples this. I think that the disciples, Jesus was speaking with a large crowd and it was getting a little bit unruly. And a lot of the people in the crowd were not receiving what Jesus was teaching. In fact, this is found in John chapter 6, but it's, it's really the, the most um, controversial teaching Jesus ever gave. He talked about the fact you, you have to eat my blood and, or eat my body and drink my blood and things like that. And the, the crowd really, really struggled with it. And I, I think the disciples themselves wondered, why on earth are, are you 
talking like that and nobody understands you. And this was Jesus's response in John 6, 44. He said, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And the word draws here means to bring or to lead. No one will come to Jesus unless the Father draws that person, brings them to Jesus, leads them to Jesus. And then Jesus said, and I'll raise that person up on the last day. Now, because this is true, because God the Father is the one who draws people to Christ, one of the applications for us if we're Christians should be to pray for our loved ones who don't know Jesus. And that's a prayer I pray an average of once or twice a day, every day, on, on average anyway, for particular people by name. I say, Lord, this person doesn't see clearly. This person is blind. Open their eyes. Draw them to yourself. That is the nature of my prayer, realizing that God could respond to that prayer. And then again, once the person receives Christ, the Spirit comes to live within and teach us the truth. And that's what Jesus again said to his disciples in John 14, beginning of verse 16. Jesus said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. Of course, they were concerned he was leaving. And they're wondering, where are we going to learn? And where are we going to get the truth? He says, well, I'm going to send you another counselor like me. In other words, the Holy Spirit he goes on to say, he is, and here's that same title, spirit of truth. He's the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him, but you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. So the starting point again is, do you know Christ? And is the spirit of Christ in you? That is, again, the starting point. And truth is found with God who reveals himself to us, and then we respond. But we need something else in addition to this. First of all, we need God to reveal truth to us. Second, we need other believers to protect us from deceit. We need other Christians in our lives to help protect us. Now here at the Ridge, we talk a lot about this. And of course, you heard the announcement this morning about new groups that are starting February 19th, 20th, and 21st. We're constantly trying to get people involved with community because we recognize how important it is to be with other Christians if we're to know the truth, see the truth, and have people model the truth and lead us to the truth if we're, if we're going astray. We need other people in our lives like this. The Apostle Paul later in his life would talk about the importance of the church. He said when it is properly functioning, and specifically in Ephesians 4, he's defining that as where the leaders are leading well and where the, the congregation is serving the rest of the congregation through your gifts and talents and abilities. So when the church is functioning well and you're serving one another, then he said we will be protected from deceit. It's found in verse 14 or beginning in verse 14. He said then, this is what's going to happen, we'll no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. Do you see what he's saying here? He's describing spiritually young people as ones that when the new thing comes along, they grab it. Oh, here's this new teaching. Here's this new idea. Here's this new philosophy. So they jump on this bandwagon and, and then something else comes along and they jump on that one. And, and Paul is saying here, you know, we don't, we, we don't want to be little children that are tossed here and there as we're properly connected with one another. 
But if we're not, he talks here about the cleverness in techniques of deceit. And there are a lot of deceivers out there, especially on TV or online. They're very clever about their lies, the things that they teach, that they're not true. And this is where, again, I think protection is important. Paul then went on to say in verse 2, he said, but speaking the truth in love, let's grow up in every way in him who's the head Christ. That's what we need. We need truth being spoken in love. Now, going back to our story, as soon as Paul was blinded, he was led by his companions to the city of Damascus. And for the next three days, he was blind and he was fasting. He, he refused to eat anything. He didn't drink anything. He was humbling himself before God. This was a, a huge wake-up call. And he recognized the importance. God had gotten his attention. And so he's just sitting there in blindness, just saying, God, what, what happened? What's going on? And praying about all of these things. But it's what happened next that relates to my second point here. In Acts chapter 9, verses 10 through 12, we see that God had a plan in mind to connect Saul or Paul to the church. Because Saul needed the church, but the church needed Saul. Both were true. God did not want this rogue guy who had this extraordinary conversion experience just going out on his own, doing his own thing. No, he needed to connect him with the rest of the body of Christ, which is essential for us as well. And so we read about this in Acts 9, beginning in verse 10. We read, there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, here I am, Lord, he said. Get up and go to the street called Straight, the Lord said to him, to the house of Judas and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul since he's praying there. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and placing his hands on him so that he could regain his sight. Now, if you know the story, you know Ananias fought back on this idea. <laughs> he challenged God, like, do you know what you're doing? I mean, he literally asked God, do you realize what this guy's been doing? going around arresting and killing Christians and everything. I mean, is this, are you sure you want me to go to this house? I understand it's concern. I just find it always humorous when God speaks to someone and they're kind of arguing like they know better. But I think we all do that sometimes. But this was about connecting him. Ananias met to meet with Saul. He prayed for Saul. The scale-like things came off of Saul's eyes. Then Ananias went and took Saul and baptized him in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and initiated him into this church. Now later, after many years had passed, the Apostle Paul would describe the church in kind of a unique way. He called it the pillar of truth. In 1 Timothy 3.15, we read, Paul said, But if I should be delayed, I have written so that you may know how people ought to act in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. That's what the church is supposed to be, a pillar, holding up the truth, the foundation of the truth remaining steadfast and firm despite what all is happening out in the world today. We are the pillar and foundation of the truth. Wearsby puts it this way. This is architectural language. The church is what holds up God's truth in this world as the local church is faithful to preserve, preach, and practice the truth. God's work prospers on earth. Now, I realize that you know, all the groups think they have the truth. 
And then we come along as Christians, we say we have the truth and people debate or argue with us. But uh, the evidence is, yes, no, we do have the truth. This is, this is the household of God. The presence of God is with us. The word of God is with us. The people of God are with us. We have resources that others don't have. We do indeed have the truth. And we, when we walk away from that, people then become deceived. They begin believing all kinds of things that aren't true. So if we want to know the truth, number one, we need God to reveal the truth to us. Number two, we need other believers to protect us from deceit. And then the last resource that I want to touch on is that we need the Word of God to lead us to the truth. Now, I realize I talked about, I mean, I did a whole talk on this maybe four weeks or so ago about why I believe the Bible's true, why it's, why it's the Word of God, things like prophecy, all the amazing prophecies in Scripture and how it's written over 1,600 years, but it's still one book you know, 40 plus authors, 66 different books, but it's one book. And we talked about the supernatural nature of it and everything else that the Bible is indeed the word of God and it's trustworthy. But it's important. I, I couldn't leave this one off in talking about how we can know the truth because more and more people these days are turning other places for the truth. And so they are indeed turning to what the world says, the teachers of this world, philosophers of this world have to say they, they turn to other sources of truth. And one of them, the big, one of the biggest ones right now is people turn to themselves for the truth. You'll hear people talking about that. Well, I don't, you know, I don't look for truth out there. I look for truth in here. That's a mistake. I, I understand that we've been given by God some intuition. I understand that, that people have intuition. We all have some level of intuition where you just kind of know certain things if you just think about it and reflect on it for a little bit. You know, my wife has really good intuition. She, she can pick up things pretty quickly about people and circumstances. You, you, you can discover some things if you just stop and reflect and, and those kinds of things, but that's not the main source of truth because it's not reliable. Our perception is scarred by sin having a sin nature. And so the prophet Jeremiah talked about this in Jeremiah 17, 9. He said, the heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? Boy, that's, those are strong words. There's nothing more deceitful in all the creation than the heart. So you think, well, I'm running, taking refuge to my heart to try to find the truth. There's some truth there. Again, don't, don't get me wrong. We learn things over the years. We can, we, we can see some truth here, but it's a liar. We defend ourselves. How many times have people tried to confront us about the truth and we refuse to accept it because we didn't like the way it felt, but the truth is the truth is the truth. But our heart is an unreliable witness. And it's because of even the very nature of sin. Paul talked about the, the deceitfulness of sin. It's sin in our hearts and lives that prevent us from seeing as we should. So Solomon in the Old Testament wrote in Proverbs 28, 26, the one who trusts in himself, and this could be translated trust in his heart. The one who trusts in himself is a fool, but the one who walks in wisdom will be safe. Again, I think this is very important because there are so many things in our world today where the world is saying this is okay, God's word says it's not. Where we have these ideas, well, it feels good, it seems like it's okay, you know, and we're listening to that instead of what God says is true. 
We need to learn to trust the Lord, not our own heart. In Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Solomon further wrote, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not rely on your own understanding. Think about him in all your ways, and he'll guide you on the right paths. Of course, that was my first point. Learn to trust God with it, and not in your own heart, because you will be led astray. Now, God has given us his word specifically so we would know the truth. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But you've got to know the truth, and it's found in the pages of God's Word. And so the psalmist in Psalm 119.60 put it this way, the entirety of your Word is truth, and all your righteous judgments endure forever. Now, a lot of the reason, again, people in our country today believe all kinds of lies about things is because they've stepped away from the truth of God's Word. People are abandoning the truth, and they're listening to lies such as your number one. And all of the world revolves around you and your needs reign supreme. And if it feels good but doesn't hurt someone, it's okay. That's not what the Bible says. Some things are right, some things are wrong, and they're very clear in Scripture. Or people say there are many ways to God. Are all kinds of lies out there that people are grabbing a hold of and going down the wrong path. Where do you turn to the truth? Jesus wanted his disciples to turn to the Word of God. You remember when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night he was going to be arrested, and he spent a great deal of time just praying while he was there, and a big part of his prayer was for the disciples. Because Jesus knew he was again, he was going to be leaving, and he was leaving them behind in this world. He was not going to be with them. And so the question is, if I'm leaving you behind in the world, what do you have to, to keep you moored to the truth? And this is what he said in his prayer. They, referring to the disciples, are not of the world as I'm not of the world. And by the way, if you're a Christian, you're not of the world either. Our citizenship is in heaven. We're passing through. This is not our home. But they, Jesus said, are not of the world as I'm not of the world. And then he went on to say, sanctify or set them apart by the truth. And then he added your truth or your word is truth. This is the thing that sets apart Christians because suddenly we're standing on truth. They're not popular truths. Ways of living, ways of seeing things, ways of believing. And I realize people don't like that, but the truth of God begins to set us apart as holy people, different people, because we're walking in His truth and not our own. Now, getting back to Paul's story... We read in Acts 9 and verse 22, after he had put his faith in Christ, after he could now see, we read in verse 22, but Paul, or I'm sorry, Saul, grew more capable and kept confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving this one is the Messiah. And so he was confounding. He was getting into these debates with these other people, and he was confounding them. He was winning the argument, but what did he use to win the argument? It was the Word of God. In fact, some of you, if you know his story, know that Paul would spend the next three years of his life just studying and meeting with Christ and the Word of God. And it would make sense that he would do that. Can you imagine, again, if you were Saul, raised in this Jewish heritage, trained in all understanding of the Old Testament, and you thought you had a handle on all of it, and then all of a sudden Jesus shows up in your life and says, you got the thing all wrong. I, I am the God of Genesis 1-1. I was the pillar of fire that led Israel through the wilderness. 
It all centers around me. And suddenly Saul, it probably took him three years, suddenly he started rereading his Bible with a different lens in mind. Now he, now he saw the truth. And therefore he was able to pen these amazing documents we have that are called the New Testament here today. Wearsby explained about Paul. He said, Paul gave himself to study, prayer, and meditation and met with the Lord alone. And Paul recognized that a proper understanding of the Word of God was key if we were to walk in the truth. So he wrote to his son in the faith, a guy named Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15. He said, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the Word of Truth. He's ex encouraging his son in the faith, Timothy, that you teach the Word of God, but you do your homework. Make sure you get it right because otherwise you're going to be teaching things and then someone's going to come up afterwards and say, where did you get that ridiculous interpretation? I've only had that happen probably once or twice in my life, but it's, it's easy sometimes to be careless about things. He said, don't do that. Study it. Present yourself approved as someone who's able to handle the Word of God. And then the other key, of course, to knowing the truth, really knowing the truth is not head knowledge at all. It's life knowledge by doing it. And so again, in James 1, 21 and 22, which we probably looked at a month ago, James said, therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and evil, humbly receive the implanted word, which is able to save you or rescue you or deliver you from lots of things, starting with your soul. And then he said, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Don't, don't deceive yourself by thinking I'm better off by having heard it. We're better off when we do it. But James mentioned three things here. Number one, he said, get rid of all the moral filth and evil. I'm convinced that there are, if there are sins in our life that we know of and we continue to give ourselves to those things, the word of God is going to have a hard time getting into the soil of our heart. So James said, first of all, get rid of this stuff that's, that's causing a problem. And then he said, receive the word implanted. And so you welcome it as the word of God, which I talked about a few weeks ago. And then he said, but then be doers of it. You put it into practice, not someone who just listens, but someone who knows experientially how to do it. And I think a part of this is probably studying. A little bit later, James wrote in verse 25 of James 1, the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but one who does good works, this person will be blessed in what he does. It says one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom, which is the word of God. We don't think of God's word as being freeing. We view, we view it as being um, a killjoy, keeping us from fun. It's the law of freedom, God's word. The truth of God's word sets us free. But he talks here about looking intently at the perfect law. That phrase is very significant because it has this idea, according to Dr. Jameson, to stoop down for a close look. And so he's saying the one who stoops down and really looks carefully at it and studies it to learn it and then applies it to his life, that's the person who will be blessed in what he does. Wearsby adds, verse 25 tells us we must gaze carefully, not glance casually into the word and study it and through it see ourselves. Because as James talked in James 1, the Bible's like a mirror. You read things and you realize, oh, this is the way I'm supposed to look, but this is not the reflection I see when I look in the mirror. And we begin to change. 
So what do we do with this? Well, number one, again, we need, I think, God to reveal the truth to us, which suggests to me we just need to be people of prayer. We need to be asking God to open people's eyes. But at the same time, when you're looking for truth, even in concerning what I'm saying this morning, you take it to God. He's the source of all truth. And again, I've known people that have pulled away from the truth of God's word. Or, number two, we need other believers to protect us. And as people are pulling away from fellowship with other Christians, I've seen them being led astray. Suddenly they're believing all kinds of things. They've listened to what others have said and they've set aside what God says is true and they're on the wrong path. And then finally, I think we need the word of God to lead us to the truth. Our society is going to continue pushing us in the wrong direction. We need God's word. And, and again, it's about holding on to it. Simple way to put this whole application here is it's really all about our relationship with God, who is the truth. Jesus was speaking with some religious leaders of his day who didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead, the Sadducees. And, and at a certain point, he just pointed out the, the fact that they were deceived. In Matthew twenty-two twenty-nine, we read, Jesus answered them, you are deceived because, and then he mentioned two things, you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. They had two faults. They did not know the word of God and they did not know the God of the word. And I think this is our protection. Let's pray. Father, I'm just grateful that you love us so much as to reveal the truth to us. But we want to be ones, O oh Lord, who trust you and trust your word. And we realize we're being pulled in so many different directions. It's so easy to drift away from what your word says is true because it's so often contrary to our culture and the world in which we live. But Lord, I personally make a commitment to stand firm by your grace on your word and claim it to be true. And help us, O oh Lord, to apply these things to our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. That concludes our time this morning. Next week, I'd like to wrap up this series of talking about how to agree agreeably with disagreeable people. In other words, when other people, you want to share the truth, some principles for sharing the truth in a way they can receive it. Have a blessed week. Thanks for listening to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. If you'd like to hear more messages now, you can check out our past series at theridge.church slash messages or download the free Ridge app. Thanks again for listening and we will see you next time.